Charles Knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Pro Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 497. Jason Linger is with me. It's just the two of us today. We're going to be covering artificial intelligence, uh, which is a misnomer. Uh, it's not intelligence of any kind. Call it an algorithm. Call it code. Call it whatever the hell you want. It will never be alive. It will never pass muster for the breakdown that was proven by old alchemy, the idea of body, soul, and spirit, these types of things. But it's here, and it's a big deal. You know, we make our jokes. Old McDonald had a computer, AIAIO. Um, that's us now. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens with AI. And I suspect that it's coming on full tilt. In the same way that we go out in the world and buy crappy things like furniture, and yet we go around looking, oh, isn't that beautiful handmade furniture? And yet we buy the crappy crap. Admiring the handmade stuff, it's heavier. It's harder to carry. As a matter of fact, I had a guy come out to look at some of the old things when my mother passed away. And all the old antiques that at one time had some value had completely plummeted. And he was telling me how interest had been lost and people didn't want to carry these heavy things around. And there was a whole litany, which isn't to say that's happened to all antiques, but it's similar to what we're about to face with computers and what they call artificial intelligence, what I'll call an algorithm. Basically, it's scary. And the reason it's scary is because we have predecessors that show there's a bit of magic going on here. And you can look up the law of large numbers and you can look up the wisdom of the crowd, maybe wisdom of the crowd, but well, both of them. But wisdom of the crowd is a, is a really strange thing when you try to zero in and say to yourself, how in the heck can this possibly work? And even in the wisdom of the crowd, when people are guessing at a number, say, some of them are so far off the money, they'll say, well, the number is one, when clearly it's not anywhere near one. Some will say it's 5 million, when clearly it's nowhere near 5 million, and yet it still works. And these things are proven true by nature. And so when you port it over to what's going on here, it's going to be a hell of a, an era that we're coming to. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a rather pleasant but rainy good morning. All right. Well, we had episode 125 pulled from YouTube this morning. It was with Wayne McCroy. Uh, we addressed autism and inoculations. They finally got around to pulling it. In another couple of years, there will be nothing left on YouTube that doesn't agree with Wikipedia or other low-minded sources that run scot-free from harassment. But I figured I'd mention it while we're doing this. Oh, I should also mention they've been spraying us like bugs above for almost a week and a half now, uh, like I haven't seen it in years, but there's all that. Well, it's almost certainly an algorithm that's scanning everything day after day, looking for any excuse to pull something. I, I have no idea. Like I talk to my neighbors and they're all, isn't the weather weird? And I point up to the sky and like yesterday I was speaking to a neighbor. I said, well, that's weather modification. They, How the hell do you know? I said, look at that trail. There's this big arc in the sky, a train, a plane's on a trajectory, leaving a big old fat trail and it arcs to a direction. Then four or five other do it and they cross that arc, but they're all turning. And I said, don't planes pretty much go from point A to point B pretty clear. It's not going to the Providence airport from the direction it's traveling. So what's going on there? Uh, and they just, they refuse to comprehend. So I finally say to them, why don't you go look up in the mainstream news in 2008, China admitting that it has a weather bureau that uh, caused a terrible blizzard. 
got out of hand and their weather, weather modification bureau did it. But anyhow, uh, even in even in these times, people a little bit slow on the uptake. But let's jump in to the burgeoning age of algorithmic. I don't know what to call it. Algorithms running everything, basically. The mainstream definition for artificial intelligence says that it is the theory and development of computer systems able to perform tasks that normally require human intelligence, such as visual perception, speech recognition, decision-making, and translation between languages. Artificial intelligence is based on the assumption that the process of human thought can be mechanized. Oh, BS. It's not the same. We are not our bodies. We are not our minds. And this was proven millennia ago by the civilizations that did mind sciences, basically. But let's look at something modern to get a handle on where we're about to go. There was a new movie about the man called Turing. Now, when I was in my internet tech, getting my degree in internet tech, they talked about the Turing test. And the thing about the Turing test was supposedly, and I, I may get the, I'm, I'm going to be in the ballpark. I don't have it in front of me, but I'm going to act like I do. So if I get it a little bit wrong, you can look up the Turing test. Basically, the idea is that how can we tell when computer code has become conscious, when a computer has become conscious? Well, according to the Turing test, I think if you hold a conversation that's blind, so you don't know who you're talking to at the point, you can no longer tell that you're talking to a human being, then that clearly that computer is conscious and it's complete poppycock. As a matter of fact, they just put out a movie about Mr. Turing. It is among the most woke movies I have ever seen. They're claiming that this man cracked the Enigma code, you know, the big encoder for World War II, except the problem is in the movie, the big part was this poor autistic gay man was bullied and treated poorly and outside society and had a tough time. And you're sitting there going, well, really isn't the main story here that he did this incredible analog machine that cracked a code that is insane? Isn't that the story? But it wasn't the story. And this begins to give you a tell into what we're talking about. From CNBC.com, March 29th, 2023. Elon Musk and dozens of other technology leaders have called on AI labs to pause the development of systems that can compete with human-level intelligence. In an open letter from the Future of Life Institute, signed by Musk, Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak, and 2020 presidential candidate Andrew Yang, AI labs were urged to cease training models more powerful than GPT-4 the latest version of the large language model software developed by U.S. startup OpenAI. Quote, contemporary AI systems are now becoming human competitive at general tasks, and we must ask ourselves, should we let machines flood our information channels with propaganda and untruth, the letter read? Should we automate away all the jobs, including the fulfilling ones? Should we develop non-human minds that might eventually outnumber, outsmart, obsolete, and replace us? Should we risk loss of control of our civilization? The letter added, such decisions must not be delegated to unelected tech leaders. 
The Future of Life Institute is a nonprofit organization based in Cambridge, Massachusetts, that campaigns for the responsible and ethical development of artificial intelligence. Its founders include MIT cosmologist Max Tegmark and Skype co-founder Jan Tallinn. The organization has previously gotten the likes of Musk and Google-owned AI lab DeepMind to promise never to develop lethal autonomous weapons systems. The institute said it was calling on all AI labs to immediately pause for at least six months the training of AI systems more powerful than GPT-4. GPT-4, which was released earlier this month, is thought to be far more advanced than its predecessor, GPT-3. Oh, great. They gave us a soundbite. And what did everybody in the country I live in do about this soundbite, that there's a serious, dangerous problem here? Well, they logged on and they went to GPT chat and they got their content, their free images, their whatever they want that they couldn't previously do because they're not an artist or an author or whatever they wanted. That's what they did. And this is all a bit much, the idea of this, because they're right. How the hell is it that the entirety of the immediate course of what it means to be a human being in this world is completely shaped by corporation at this point? Government almost is to a point where it doesn't matter. It's basically the lapdog. But in this, you'll see names trotted out like Musk. He's a mascot. He's an actor. So to continually use this name as if it holds weight in the world is laughable to a logical mind. But there's a couple things here. It has been recently considered that when the monetary system completely shifts, whoever has the most gold will have a seat at the world table. It has further been said, whoever has the best AI will run the world. Do you think for a second that places that are in the business of war give a damn about anybody's little letter they signed with famous names or for that matter, any government? saying, okay, we need to back off this? Or do you suppose that it's full speed ahead in these places? And it's pretty pretty scary because we are at the point and probably have been for probably more than 50 years. When I watched the touring movie, I started to think of how did they, they know all this already? And I think one of the tells was given us in one of the Marvel movies where they basically stated some German dude wrote an algorithm that showed us how to read all the data. Problem is we didn't have a way to do it or collect it. Now we do. That was the thirties. My guess is that we're looking at GPT-4 right now. Everyone can access it. And that's probably conservatively 50 years behind what's actually probably available to to the best labs in the world that are not sharing what they're getting. And I think it's pretty well known. Remember the episode? I don't remember the, the, the episode number, but the book we covered from Shoshana Zuboff tells you what people think about AI and what it will mean in the future world in, in terms of who's on top and who's not at the table. Anyhow. So putting an article out like this, it does something interesting. It gets people thinking about this stuff like, oh, all these famous people are concerned about it. I guess I should be concerned about this too. And of course, everyone's going to run to try and log into wherever this thing might be available and to try it out as well. Even GPT-4, well, I will never use AI. Uh, I will never. It takes me four or five hours usually to do an episode image. It's getting more difficult all the time because of copyright. 
but I've kind of figured out a way. But to, to get to the point, if I could log on to one of these so-called AI image engines, I could make the most professional looking images in a couple minutes, literally. Uh, I'll never do that. And part of the reason I will never do that is because what goes into my image can be deduced by a human mind. What comes out of an AI image, it doesn't have that aspect. It is based on copying, but there's no, like to put a puzzle into it or to put under underlying ideas that are not obvious on the surfaces, that's currently not part of AI. But when these kinds of messages come out to the world, how many people are up in arms and demanding something be done and how many are actually using the tools with their mouth hanging open? What GPT-4 can do is incredible. The one thing I did do is I went and I asked GPT-4 a couple questions, which I'm not going to really talk about. And I sent a couple of the responses. Actually, a friend of mine did it first, and then I did it the other day. And what it could deduce that was not obvious on the surface, it's pretty incredible. Anyhow. Like many other things we have discussed, the early mentions of the concept of artificial intelligence was in fiction and science fiction stories. In the first half of the 20th century, science fiction stories introduced the world to the concept of artificially intelligent robots. Early examples are the humanoid robot, the first robot to ever be shown on screen, that impersonated Maria in the groundbreaking 1927 film Metropolis, as well as the Tin Man from 1939's The Wizard of Oz, who was heartless. There were many others as well, of course. By the 1950s, a generation of scientists mathematicians, and philosophers had the concept of artificial intelligence, or AI, in their minds. Isn't this the world we live in? Is it truly, truly all the world is a stage? So these forms of entertainment, whether it be literature, film, whatever, if it's entertainment, it almost always precedes what we see. And here it is. Now, if we go back to the oldest version, Metropolis, 1927, if you haven't seen it, you should. It's a little bit long probably a little hard to sit through for a modern mind, but it's worth it if you want to get to the bottom of it. By the way, if I'm not mistaken, the band Queen bought the rights to this film so they could make one crappy music video. I kid you not. But within that, there is a, I guess we could call it a supposedly sentient robot named Maria. And that's a merry idea. That's a spiritual idea being wrapped up in there. But in it, all the way back in 27, they're showing how the human race is being slaved out. It's an interesting watch. And by the time we get up to The Wizard of Oz, there's so much wrapped up in that movie. And by the way, if we want to be honest, think think of a movie like The Wizard of Oz. That's all analog. That's all shot on film. Almost everybody loves it. Uh, how does that compare to, say, something made recently, like The Transformers? It's almost like it's not the same medium anymore, if you see where I'm going here. To make anything like artificial intelligence a reality, computers needed to fundamentally change. Before 1949, computers lacked a key component for intelligence. They couldn't store commands, only execute those given to them. In other words, while computers could be told what to do, they had no capability to remember what they did. Besides that, computing in any way was extremely expensive. In the early 1950s, the cost of leasing a computer ran as much as $200,000 a month. Only prestigious universities and massive technology companies could even attempt any such endeavors. 
much needed to be worked on and improved upon to make any such ambitions realistic. And here they are. You know, the language misleads us. The computer had no ability to remember. It doesn't remember. It's not alive. There's a record that it can access. Our language is even leading us in the direction of somehow a machine actually holding some semblance of intelligence as if it was alive in some way. But they're, they're claiming here before 49 computers lack key components. And if you can suffer through the touring movie, uh, there is an analog, a supposed analog version of what he built. Uh, that's during World War II that's going on. So it precedes 49 by a number of years. And you can already see the queue up. How is it that we always have the glimmers of what's going to be long before it comes? Is this a case of we have a goal? Here's our goal. We're working for our goal. Oh, here's our goal. That thing we thought of a while ago, now we have it. Or is it something else? And I think we've done enough work on entertainment to show you that what's actually going on is we are steered and that truly all the world is a stage and that truly there are people who control the reins at the highest levels and they know more than we do. As an example, the Kali Yugas, if you knew, or the Yugas, I should say, if you knew certainly the correct Yuga cycle and you knew it was real and you had the historic references to what had happened in the past you would have one of the biggest keys to do all kinds of things that no one else, that everyone else would be uh, oblivious to. And we've covered these things. How is it that the man who cracked the modern Kali Yuga is number one on the seminal social engineering album of our time, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band? And this is what I'm getting at. Somewhere decisions are made that put us on a road. And if we want to be honest, how did we get into World War I and World War II in the same damn way? Someone conjured it and put us on that path. Well, that's what's happening now with computers and what they like to call artificial intelligence, which is not. In 1950, Alan Turing published the article Computing Machinery and Intelligence, which proposed the idea of the imitation game, a question that considered if machines can think. This proposal later became the Turing test, which measured machine or artificial intelligence. Turing's development tested a machine's ability to think as a human would. The Turing test became an important component in the philosophy of artificial intelligence, which discusses intelligence, consciousness, and ability in machines. This is all a bit laughable. I just saw Hollywood's account of Turing. He's a bit autistic or on the spectrum. Uh, he's a gay man. He has no social graces. He's about like Sheldon was in the Big Bang. So how in the hell is he even qualified to develop, to test a machine's ability to think as a human would when he apparently doesn't get on like 98% of all the other humans in the world? But when it comes to this idea that we're talking about, the Turing test, it's a misnomer. First of all, they're going to try to convince you that a machine can be alive like you're alive, which that's BS. If that was true, the people who created the machine would then be a god, right? What's actually gone on here is our minds have been steered in a direction. And if we look at this paragraph alone, at the ideas and the questions being asked to focus our attention, wouldn't the real question that needed to be asked be something like this? So I'm told now that these so-called AI computers can do, let's just say, a million calculations a second. Isn't it something we should be concerned about? 
because even if we had a log, we could read, a human being could read within five minutes, a human being wouldn't have enough time in a lifetime to comprehend how any of the decisions or any of the algorithms or the outputs were reached. In other words, completely running blind to how we're getting to where we're at. Aren't those really the questions we should be asking? So even in the way these are written, it's like sidelining the way we think about things. That's my point of view. Also in 1950, writer Isaac Asimov published the first of his now famous novel series, I, Robot, to share themes of human-robot interactions. In the stories, robo-psychologist Dr. Calvin created robots and studied how they behaved in comparison to humans. The collection of stories also contained the three laws of robotics. The first one, a robot may not injure a human being or, through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. The second one states a robot must obey orders given it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And the third, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. Let me get this straight, Jason. A science fiction writer named Asimov, who'd never seen a robot, gave us the three laws that are supposed to bind how robots are dealt with. Come on. We have another guy that was a sci-fi writer that invented a whole religion called Scientology. The mainstream doesn't accept that. Why are they accepting this nonsense? How could he have ever had a clue about what we call AI or what an Android actually is going to be in this era? And somehow this sci-fi writer in and around the circles of power that we have covered so often gave us the three laws that you still hear spouted by places like the place in Cambridge, Mass, making all those robots. They still spout these three laws. How can that be? This is a steering of our minds. How can it be that anyone could create three laws about anything for a thing that they'd never experienced, never seen, and by the way, not even aware of AI when this goes on? In 1951, using the Ferranti Mark I, the world's first commercially available general-purpose digital computer that was owned by University of Manchester, Christopher Strachey wrote a checkers program, and Dietrich Prinz wrote one for chess. Arthur Samuel's checkers program, developed in the middle 50s and early 60s, eventually achieved sufficient skill to challenge a respectable amateur. Game AI would continue to be used as a measure of progress in AI throughout its history. Should I tell the tale again, Jason, that Shoshana proved was true with her access to boardrooms and her mainstreamy book that so well defines the coming age of so-called AI? Should I do that again? Sure. I think it's appropriate. All right. So the way that we've been handed is that, so we're looking at the 50s or 60s. Remember what I just said, that the AI we have now is 50 years behind, probably more than 50 years behind whatever the best is in the world. Here's an example of that. So in the 50s or 60s, a dude's writing a program to play checkers. It doesn't take them too long. It takes a little bit of time. So we're told by the mainstream narrative that they can take on someone with serious checker skills. Now I'm going to switch over to the likes of Shoshana Zuboff, but what I already knew from mainstream, as far as I know, she's the first person to really publish a well-written, though mainstreamy book that absolutely nails the tech, by the way, which is why I reference it. 
she says, so they beat checkers. They wanted to get better. So they took on chess and they went and went and went. Well, I can tell you flat out that in the late seventies, my father had one of those electronic chess boards. And if you put it on master, you couldn't beat it. My dad was one of the smartest men I ever knew, and he couldn't beat it. I think he beat it once on master. That's the late seventies, but that's not enough, right? Because if you logically break down what checkers and chess are, there's a finite number of moves, right? So they say, you know, what would be the gold standard of training? What we like to call AI, it would be the Asian game go from the outset move. There are, I don't remember hundreds of thousands, if not millions, I don't know. I think it's at least hundreds of thousands of possible moves that can be made and they go to train their algorithm and they can't. And they keep trying and they keep trying and they can't. Well, one day, supposedly, as the story goes, one of the programmers or the people creating the algorithm, the AI, says, hey, how about we consider that we're the problem? The human beings are the problem. Let's remove ourselves from how the algorithm is trying to accomplish this task. And in doing that, we will also tell the algorithm it can create more algorithms anytime it needs to, to solve individual problems along the way. So let me rephrase that. No more people are going to get involved. The so-called AI is now allowed to make AI when it hits a problem it can't solve. So it can continue on while the AI it's made chips away at this, that, or the other problem, or however that would be properly described. Within 72 hours, if I remember correctly, of that switch, removing human beings and allowing the algorithm to create algorithms, they beat a Go master. Now, here's the catch that people don't really think about. How long have we had GPT-4? Here's what you should know. And if you read that book or any of the other decent books around so-called AI, you would recognize that every second of every day, AI is learning. In other words, chat GPT-4, if it's still in learning mode, is smarter today than it was yesterday. And also, every input you got it helped to train it a little more. So from the very day that we first saw AI released on the web to now, it is, I don't know, how you would even measure how many more times more trained, I guess we will say, because smarter is really not the right word but more capable. The other thing is when it makes a mistake, it is quite likely it will never need to make that mistake again. So when you take AI that's been running a hundred years, think about what we're talking about. But there's the old story of how they claim they reached the gold standard by using game theory. The first step toward artificial intelligence came in 1955 when a computer program called Logic Theorist was written by Alan Newell, Herbert A. Simon, and Cliff Shaw. This was funded by the RAND Corporation. It was the first program that was deliberately engineered to perform automated reasoning and has been described as the first artificial intelligence program. Logic Theorist proved 38 of the first 52 theorems in Alfred North Whitehead and Bertrand Russell's Principia Mathematica, a three-volume work on the principles of mathematics, and for some theorems, even found new and more elegant proofs. All right, so screw everything we just said. Let's scrub our minds free of the way that they're being, your mind is being steered every time someone is speaking or you're reading. And it's not 
it's not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just true. Let's throw this aside and look at some of the key points. Wait a minute. They did this in 1955, a computer program called logic theorist in 1955 proved 38 of the 52 mathematical theorems by two of the world's foremost mathematicians in 1955. If this can be called an akin to what we call AI now, then it has been learning every day or its predecessors since 1955. So think about what's actually going on in the world behind us. When we see the banking switch over, when we see the chemtrailing pick up and we know something's coming behind it, when we see the big false flag in the news, what do you suppose is behind all of it? Has this been modeled by so-called AI? Have they determined that they have a 98% outcome of success? I'm suggesting to you that they do. And this is probably one of the biggest issues we'll have to deal with. In the long run, I don't think it's a problem. Honestly, in the short run, it is a major pain in our asses and it's ruining our quality of life. In the long run, what I accept is going to happen is the real intelligence in this world called human intelligence created by the creator is going to come up because I accept the Kali Yuga that I've worked on so long to what they call 50%, whatever you want to say it, ability, virtue, whatever the hell you want to call it, leaving behind 25% up to 50% headed for a golden age of 100%. And in my view, there's no bolts, computers, wires, and chips that's going to outdo what the creator built here. So in the long run, we're probably going to be okay. In the short run, there's going to be hell to pay. Logic Theorist introduced several concepts that would be central to AI research. The first is reasoning as search. Logic Theorist explored a search tree. The root was the initial hypothesis. Each branch was a deduction based on the rules of logic. Somewhere in the tree was the goal, the proposition the program intended to prove. The pathway along the branches that led to the goal was a proof, a series of statements, each deduced using the rules of logic that led from the hypothesis to the proposition to be proved. Let me make a point here. So they've described how they break down a tree. So they create this abstract idea of how we can go at logic and reasoning and proofs, and they're explaining it as a tree. Consider this. AI loose on the web that polices, say, YouTube. I had episode 125 pulled down today. I have every reason to accept that AI flagged it first. I have every reason to accept that back on episode 125, I was a little careless with my images so far ago, and I had things like inoculation tools labeled flu. AI can read that. Probably how I got flagged. Here's my point. If AI takes everything on Wikipedia to be true, then we've actually created a thing that does what it does based on falsehood. You see where I'm going here? AI thinks we went to the moon. You know why? Because Wikipedia is the standard and Wikipedia says we went to the moon. I'm here to tell you we didn't. I can demonstrate that we didn't. So do you see where we are about to go and do you see the flaw in what's about to happen? Truly, if the truth will set you free, AI is a lie from the ground up because what AI is being trained on is what's permissible now in the information systems. 
And as I opened with this episode, the information I put out, unacceptable. The difference is the information I put out came from my heart. I would swear on what I did to the best of my ability at the time that I did it. And I don't think anyone's going to claim that of Wikipedia. What Wikipedia is, is what's politically correct. What's okay. If woke nonsense becomes the standard, then Wikipedia will reflect that. And then AI will be training as if those ideas have value. And I think it's important to consider these things. As far as I know, AI is reasonably sure we went to the moon as the example here. Now, this is a problem I brought up to quite a few people over the past few years, is that if you're building these platforms and you're feeding it nonsense, and that's what you're then putting your faith in, well, what's it going to spit out? It's that old adage, garbage in, garbage out. Exactly. One of the main rules of computer programming early on. But here's another thing that Shoshana Zuboff touched on. Her big beef was that 98% of all so-called AI programmers were white males or a few more that were Chinese males. She said there was no even programming manner. In other words, all the ideas and intentions came from one gender of one race. And while I would typically not put too much weight in it, I think she's spot on. In other words, if I put all those white men and the few Chinese men in a room and put a central idea on the table, and then I added women from all over the world, do you suppose there would be differences of outlook, opinion, and view? Now, if I removed all the women and just left that core group, wouldn't a lot of the differences of outlook and view go away with it? Well, that's a valid point. So that one-sided idea of the table is what has, up to that point, been programming these algorithms. It's a very one-sided game. That means their values, their ideas, their hopes and dreams are what's being programmed in. And by the way, consider this. You hire some of the smartest people in the world to create these algorithms. Do you suppose that their bosses even know how to take an algorithm printed a basic algorithm and read it? In other words, how is any of this managed? In other words, if you're the genius creating an AI algorithm, is there anyone else in the world that can even really comprehend what you just did? Just asking. I think that probably what will happen here is a version of the matrix where the AI gets out of control because they they can't possibly deduce how it arrives at what it arrives at. And that will be a plus because there will be only one thing to happen then. That's pull the power. When the power comes down, so do all the systems. When the systems come down, the programming ends. I suspect that is one of the possible outcomes that pushes us further into the age that we're going to be in that looks much more inviting than the age we're currently in. The second concept is heuristics. Newell and Simon realized that the search tree would grow exponentially and that they needed to trim some branches using rules of thumb to determine which pathways were unlikely to lead to a solution. They called these ad hoc rules heuristics, using a term introduced by George Polia in his classic book on mathematical proof, How to Solve It. Newell had taken courses from Polia at Stanford. Heuristics would become an important area of research in artificial intelligence and remains an important method to overcome the intractable combination explosion of exponentially growing searches. So you named a couple guys who had a class from another guy. Do you see the problem again? The ideas going in are from a very narrow base. 
but let's ask a simple question. Why the hell are we using a tree as the model? Why didn't we use, say, a crystal? It's an honest question. What if someone else decided to start up and they used a crystal as their paradigm instead of the idea of a tree? Do you see where this goes? So many possibilities. And yet what we're getting is what some dude called Newell, uh, who took a class or some, some guy named George took a class from some guy named Newell or however the hell you just said that, Jason. It's a very narrow propagation of the initial seed. The third concept is list processing. To implement logic theorist on a computer, the three researchers developed a programming language, IPL, which used the same form of symbolic list processing that would later form the basis of McCarthy's Lisp programming language, an important language that is still used by AI researchers. Yeah, again, it's a very narrow base. We're talking about what three researchers brought to the game. My main point here is if this was an open playing field and people in every country were invited to the table, would there be a better outcome? And I think the real truth here is the actual cutting edge of AI is just like everything else in this world. It's held close to the vest because they know the control and power they can get from it. And what they really know is that we are in fact in the ascending Dwarpa Yuga, having left the dark age behind in 1900 proper, fully into the energy age, the energy age being electricity, electricity being what's driving everything we're talking about here. But what they also know is that will become known in this era is the five subtle electricities, which are reflected in smell, sight, taste, hearing. Each of those is in existence of our creator and demonstrates the five subtle examples of the energy we call electricity. So the point I'm making here is this is a very one-sided show. It's like oil, right? How come we got addicted to oil and there were three big companies that, you know, why weren't there a hundred who kept innovating and pretty soon they had our miles per gallon, you know, we could go a thousand miles per gallon on a tank of gas. How come that didn't happen? For the same reason what's going on here, very few people are holding it close to the vest and controlling it. And here we've just been told that three dudes came up with a thing, which is one of the core important things for all AI everywhere right now. Logic Theorist was presented at the Dartmouth Summer Research Project on Artificial Intelligence, hosted by computer scientist John McCarthy and cognitive scientist Marvin Minsky in 1956. In this historic conference, McCarthy, imagining a great collaborative effort, brought together top researchers from various fields for an open-ended discussion on artificial intelligence, the term which he coined at the very event. The conference, however, fell short of McCarthy's expectations as people came and went as they pleased, and there was a failure to agree on standard methods for the field. Regardless, everyone agreed with the sentiment that AI was achievable. The significance of this event cannot be undermined as it catalyzed the next 20 years of AI research. So you had a meeting with some dudes and that set the course for what we call all of AI for the next 20 years. Let's go back, Jason. This is 1956. This is going on. And it's the example that I that I talked about earlier. The path is, is charted before the path even exists but not just charted where it will be, where it's going to go for the next 100 or 200 years. Let's talk about Macy's for a minute, Jason. Do you remember our coverage of the Macy's group? That's right. 
Macy's, the department store Macy's. What year? That was in the 30s, right? Yep. And it was on cybernetics. So basically, it's the idea that computers and human beings are going to integrate transhumanism in the 1930s. And so when we see what's going on here in the 50s, can't we draw a line back to those few board members in a room somewhere that decided to form an organization, which ended up being so important that me and Jason can actually pull the documents, find the records, and do a show, as people like Daniel Estlin have done, to show that right after the financial crash of 1929, a place called Macy's, which brings you the department store of the same name, had already been planning for the day when they could take computers and integrate them with human beings. How did they know that we were even going to have computers? How did they know that we were going to have a thing called AI? Because to do that, you have to have some kind of a system, a thinking system, if they would like to call it that. I'm just saying our entire, the way we live now, our, our course has been charted by precious few, and they've done it for the singular reason of control and power. Many early AI programs used the same basic algorithm. To achieve some goal, like winning a game or proving a theorem, they proceeded step-by-step towards it by making a move or a deduction as if searching through a maze, backtracking whenever they reached a dead end. This paradigm was called reasoning as search. The principal difficulty was that, for many problems, the number of possible paths through the maze was simply astronomical, a situation known as a combinatorial explosion. Researchers would reduce the search space by using heuristics or rules of thumb that would eliminate those paths that were unlikely to lead to a solution. And so, in 1959, economist Herbert Simon, programmer J.C. Shaw, and computer scientist Alan Newell tried to capture a general version of this algorithm and created the general problem solver based on logic machine architecture. While it did solve basic problems, it still suffered from similar issues as other research that took place in the golden years, that there was an astronomical number of combinations by which a computer could search space through heuristics. All right, so now let's fast forward to where we are now. We're told that there are quantum computers. I have problems with the narrative we've been handed, but let's take them at face value. They're claiming that they are coming up with processing power that is approaching millions of processes a second. So the real problem they're talking about here is the maze of possibility and probability becomes astronomical. Well, what happens when you have a machine that does a trillion processes a second? What happens when you have a machine that can keep a record of every time it was wrong, not needing to go down that road again? What happens when that learning has been going on for 50 years? I think that's about where we are now, to be completely honest. So if it is true that they have processors that may be approaching a trillion processes a second, it tells us two very important things. A human mind can't beat it, not possibly, nor can a human mind track how it got where it was going. If we use the game of chess as an example, there are only so many possible moves. I move my pawn forward in the opening thing in less than a second. A trillion processes a second has figured out every possible move in the universe and made its move. As the game progresses, more and more and more. And I would suggest to you that is what's going on in the world 
in terms of false flags, controls, system changes. This is what they're bringing. They're basically bringing game theory to the game. So if we go all the way back to these early so-called AI programmers, their big problem, too many branches on the tree. The maze is too simply too astronomical. There's too many combinations that we have to process through. I would suggest to you that problem no longer exists when you have a processing computer at millions or trillions of processes a second. The programs that continued to be developed in the years after the Dartmouth workshop were, to most people, considered simply astonishing. Computers were doing such amazing things as solving algebra word problems, proving theorems in geometry, and learning to speak English. Few at the time would have believed that such intelligent behavior by machines was possible at all. Researchers expressed an intense optimism, both in private as well as in print, and they began predicting that a fully intelligent machine would be built in less than 20 years. Government agencies, such as DARPA, began pouring money into this new field. The government was particularly interested in a machine that could transcribe and translate spoken language as well as high-throughput data processing. Optimism was high, and expectations were even higher. So DARPA gets involved, starts chucking money, and they're making the claim that we'll have a fully intelligent machine in less than 20 years. That would be what, Jason, 30 years behind us? Eh, late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. So put it into context. Let me, let me make a point here. I had gone to junior college for a while, and I bailed, went out into the work field, and my wife started going over to a junior college because it was nearly free, basically almost at that time in California cost of books. She had this high-end math class. And at the time, if you got caught with a calculator, you were busted. And all through the university system, we had these machines called calculators that could instantly, you know, shorten down calculus or any number of them. There were some very sophisticated calculators that could do some pretty sophisticated math, weren't allowed to use them. The reason given was because you will be stupid. The machine is doing the work for you. You need to learn so that you can think about these problems. Later, that same, I think it was the following semester, she took a course where she had to get, what do they call them? Do they call them mechanical calculators? The real ones with like a thousand buttons on them, Jason? Scientific calculators, I believe. Yeah, something like that. She had to get one of those for the course and she began to do it. But the same rule was in place. You were only allowed to use it to learn how to use it as a coming tool of an industry you might be involved in. But here we are on the opposite side of the coin with the idea of AI. It doesn't matter what a human being knows. The machine's going to do it all. And all you have to do is ask the question. The main point here is how quickly, that was in the 80s, how quickly, no, that was in the early 90s, how quickly we've gone from human beings need to have some basic semblance of knowing to screw it. The machine can do everything for us. What will be the outcome? of that for the common man or woman in another 20 or 30 years. I would suggest to you that we're looking at a period of time that may look a bit like the idiocracy. And the last point for hour one, in 1963, John McCarthy started Project Mac, which would later become the MIT Artificial Intelligence Lab. The research conducted there would contribute to cognition, computer vision, decision theory, distributed systems, machine learning, multi-agent systems, neural networks, probabilistic inference, and robotics. 
Later that year, McCarthy and Marvin Minsky launched SAIL, Stanford Artificial Intelligence Laboratory. The research institute would pave the way for operating systems, artificial intelligence, and the theory of computation. What a powerful paragraph, Jason, to illustrate to people where we actually are. Everything that happened here happened the year I was born. I'm 60 years old on my next birthday. The research conducted there would be about cognition, computer vision, decision theory, distributed systems, machine learning, multi-agent systems, neural networks. In 1963, neural networks and probabilistic inference and robotics. And they would later go on to to create at MIT the first AI laboratory the year I was born. So let me rephrase what I said. We're likely 50 years behind what's available. Why don't we go for something more realistic, like 75 or 80 years behind? It's incredible, Jason, how quickly this was released on the world and how quite a few people said ooh and ah, but very few recognized what actually it means and how we live everywhere. Within the next few years, if so-called AI is let go in a direction everything about the way we live will be changed. What would you add, Jason? Well, I think the people who were doing this stuff back then, 50s and 60s, would be pretty amazed with what they've come up with now, but it's still not quite doing what I think that they would want it to do, but it's doing a good job of fooling a lot of people. Are you referring to what's publicly available or what they hold in their secret labs in places like MIT, which were taken over by the military-industrial complex? Before I was born, basically. Well, I'm referring to what we could publicly play with, which I've never been all that impressed with. Sure, it could do a couple nifty things, but trying to have like conversations with them, it very quickly becomes apparent that I'm speaking to a computer. Now, what they have behind closed doors, well, I can't really comment on that. Well, one thing about like GPT and things like that, the first time you give them a prompt is not much of a resemblance to like the hundredth time you've given them a prompt because it's training the whole time. But let's use this example. I think what's going on with chat GPT is it's a, it's a misleader so that people don't get truly scared. The, the most amazing things you see are the ability to create a mind-bending image that's photorealistic in, in 30 seconds. And people are just like, oh my God, I can't believe. Or to recreate anyone's image or their voice or, you know, everyone's used these things, but consider it in terms of film. Did anyone ever notice if you go back, we'll use the Wizard of Oz again, right? 1939, suppose golden, the golden year of cinema, they had a level of makeup. Now, if you go look at that makeup, it holds up. It's pretty impressive makeup for 1939. To put it in context, it's the first year they claimed that movies were released in color, right? So before this year, supposedly, uh, all movies were in black and white. So this first year, go look at the Wizard of Oz makeup. Now go to the 1980s and look at the makeup jobs. They've purposefully dumbed them down, I think, to not allow everyone to realize how good it's gotten. Now we're up to a point where they show the whole latex process and everything. But I think what's going on with GPT is a similar thing. There's some amazing things that you're not used to that almost appear magical, but it's dumbed down to such a severe level. After all, the first MIT artificial laboratory set up the year I was born. That is incredible. 
And, you know, if it's in MIT, it's got military industrial complex money. And you know what money does in places like this. I would suggest to you that where computer tech actually is, is already beyond mind-blowingly magical if we could truly see the power of what is available in this world. But we're going to wrap up hour one, Jason. Anything else you want to add? We're only in the 1960s, so this has a long way to go. It's incredible for people who really want to know some things from the point of view of someone who had access to boardrooms. Um, Look at Shoshana Zuboff's book. I think it's called Surveillance Capitalism. It's a big, thick book. It is very mainstreamy, but that doesn't bother me because the, the way the tech is covered is spot on. As a matter of fact, I don't think it goes far enough in some places, but it does a very good job of explaining what's going on and how Japan got or how China got the tech from Silicon Valley at a picnic in, I think, 1997. Uh, It's all laid out there. We're in a new era and foundationally under everything that is about to happen, I think the truth is if you could scratch down to what the foundation is, this is it, what they want to call AI. And truth be told, when they succeed at reducing population, which I think they've done a wonderful job of in many places, and I think within the next five years, they won't be able to cover it up anymore. Who's going to serve them their Big Mac? Well, it's going to be a droid, isn't it? Uh, Who's going to do all their other little things? Well, it's going to be some form of AI, isn't it? Who's going to be their chauffeur? Who's, you know, on and on we go. I think that's kind of what's aimed at. And I think it's going to backfire in their face in the long run, to be honest with you. And I just want to mention uh, a couple of the episodes where we mentioned the Macy's organization. That would be episode 125, 87.5. And then the, the episodes I did based on the work of Shoshana Zuboff in the book was episode 165 and 168. But we're going to wrap up hour one of episode 497 covering so-called artificial intelligence. We'll be back in a, just a few minutes with hour two. Uh, hour one is free to everybody at pro777radio.com. And members know to log in for the full episode and they get free access to the movie Shoot the Moon, which has won 10 awards now. And it covers all my telescope work. I am still prepping up to learn the complicated new solar system that I have. It's all automated. It's all computer driven, uh, not like it used to be. And with that, I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. And please join us for hour two. There it is, man. Cheers.
is the enemy of knowing.